Father, we pray that you would give us the grace that we need to know and to trust that you truly know the way for us. Spirit, we pray that you would descend and overshadow your people this morning. Speak through me, speak through these words, and provide what your people need to hear. Challenge sin that is deeply rooted in our hearts. Build up fledgling spirits. We pray in the preaching of your word and meet us, Lord Jesus, at this table. We lift this to you and commend ourselves to your loving care. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bible, I would invite you to to pick it up and turn to to our reading from Acts chapter 8 that Peyton uh, was so kind to read for us this morning. In this story, we encounter a remarkable truth. Yet it is one that we can far too easily glide over, or maybe not appreciate, or at times when we read, not even recognize it. And so I'm not going to hold you in suspense. Uh, that's sometimes an effective uh, means of communication. But I'm going to tell you up front what that truth is. And this is it. That God draws each one of us into his mission and work on earth. God draws each one of us into his mission and work on earth. More specifically, you have been commissioned. You have been authorized. You have been empowered by God to continue the work of Jesus Christ, our risen and descended Lord. You. I mean, each one of you. Tom, Emily, Stephanie, everyone, Ron, the Alger clan back there, you have all been commissioned by God to continue his mission, the mission of Jesus. We see this clearly laid out for us in the first chapter of Acts. When Luke says, O Theophilus, I wrote you that former account, you know, the book, the, the Gospel of Luke, and I told you there everything that Jesus began to do and say. Not everything that he did and said, but everything he began to do and say. How can Luke say that? Because Luke knew, the disciples knew, the early church knew that they embodied Christ in the world and they continued his mission. When Jesus was ascended into heaven, he did not leave. I hope you know that. He did not leave in the sense of he's gone. We can never, we can never access him. We can never have him as, as a presence in our lives. He's not running the show. He ascended to the very control room of all creation. He ascended to heaven, and he has called you to be his disciples, to bear witness to the good news of the resurrection, the good news that there is a king who can give peace and life and joy and love in the midst of this broken world full of hatred and injustice and oppression. You have been called into that. And this is what God has made us for. From the very beginning of the scriptures, God makes humanity in his image, male and female. And he puts them on mission to continue his work of creation, to extend life and vitality and flourishing throughout all creation. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, cultivate life, have a shepherding dominion over the animal kingdom, bring about life in its fullness. 
the joy of life. You were created for that. We were created for that as the image of God. Yet our fathers and our mothers rebelled, beginning with Adam and Eve. And we were separated from that mission of God. We were distorted image bearers. Yet God, in his mercy, sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to take on our flesh, to truly become, to become the icon of God, the ultimate image of God in our world. And he is at work even now still as the risen and ascended Jesus, assembling a people, a new humanity. And he is commissioning you. He has commissioned you to be his people, to be about his work, not of the old creation, but of a new creation. To extend his kingdom throughout this world, beginning right here in Winston-Salem. So let that sink in for a moment. Let that sink in. Let the one who created all things, the one who holds all things together, as the author of Hebrews tells us, by the word of his power, the one who raises the dead calls you, equips you, authorizes you to speak on his behalf, to live on his behalf in this world. That ought to astonish us. That ought to blow our minds. Because you know what? We just had an NFL draft that just happened, if you care about that. None of us are worthy of being picks, right? If God is assembling a team to bring about his mission, we're neither first nor seventh round picks. And no one is. There is none righteous. No, not one. The scriptures remind us over and over again. Yet God drafts you. He picks you. That ought to be mind-blowing. Mind he picks you to do what? To do his work. I don't, know, I don't know about you, but I have sometimes a bit of a control problem. If, uh, if I'm in, in doing something, and you might be like, if you do something and you do it well and someone is learning, you can easily not have patience for the lack of knowledge. And it's just like, okay, let me do it. How much more... <laughs> God, the God of the universe, who created all things, is, is recreating the world, is making a new creation through the resurrection power that he has given and advanced in Jesus. How much more so is that true with you? Yet he still calls you. Yet he still patiently empowers you, equips you through the fumbling, through the failure to be his people and to continue his mission in this world. So God drafts you. He commissions you to work for him and alongside him in his mission to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. To bring his kingdom of life, justice, and peace here. The triune God, for some mind-boggling reason, chose you to join him in his creation-wide kingdom work of redemption and new creation. Just like he chose Philip in our reading from Acts 8. We encounter Philip for the first time in Acts 6. He is one of the seven men selected to become the first deacons of the church. And after Stephen is martyred, Philip is among those who flee Jerusalem because of the, the persecution that Saul, who will later become Paul, is wreaking on the church. He flees. And where do all these people go? They go to, to Judea, to Samaria, to the other most parts of the earth, doing what? Bearing witness to the good news about Jesus Christ. And this is where we find Philip 
in Acts 8. He's bearing witness to the good news. As a result, spreading out because of the persecution the church was undergoing. In our lesson from Acts 8, we see this ordinary guy, Philip, working hand in hand with God to bring redemption and new creation one step further to culmination. Again, that ought to just blow our minds that God allows us to work in tandem with him in this world to bring about his purposes. We heard that all throughout the passage. In verse 26, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem, Gaza. The the angel of the Lord invites Philip, calls Philip, commands Philip to go. There's this hand-in-hand work between God and his image. Verse 29, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join the chariot. Again, verse 39, And when they came up out of the water, that's the waters of baptism, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Three times, in case you missed the point. He says, the text says that Philip, working with the Spirit or the angel of the Lord, working with God to bring about new creation in the life of this one eunuch. You see, the book of Acts is all about a group of ordinary folks. Working class folks, poor folks, rich folks, educated folks, uneducated folks, men, women, continuing the work of Jesus, directed and empowered by the Spirit of God to bring the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And in his wisdom which often appears to us as foolishness. I mean, if we're being honest, we wouldn't pick ourselves to do this, nor would we might want to sign up for this task. (laughs) We would rather just live more quiet lives or lives that we didn't have such, you know, cosmic responsibilities attached to. We often see God's actions as foolish, but in his wisdom, God has decided that his kingdom will be built using a ragtag collection of ordinary folks from all walks of life. No one comes to God and enters his kingdom apart from the church. Do you know that? No one comes to God and enters his kingdom apart from the church, apart from this ragamuffin band of adopted brothers and sisters. So don't miss this. No one is reconciled to God or enters his kingdom apart from the church, bearing witness to the good news about King Jesus. This has nothing, this is not in contrast or in competition at all when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes unto the Father but through me. Who do you think you are? You are the very body of Christ, assembled. You are the image of God. You are the presence of Jesus in this world, and you have been commissioned authorized and empowered to continue his work, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, just like Jesus did in the Gospels. So don't miss this reality. No one is reconciled to God or enters his kingdom apart from the church calling them to submit to the risen King Jesus by bending the knee of their hearts in faith and repentance. Isn't this what Paul says in Romans 10? How will they hear? How will they go out and tell others unless they are sent? You bear such responsibility in this world because you have been called and redeemed and recreated by God to be his image yet again to fulfill what you were always meant to be and to do. That is awesome. That is That ought to be life-shattering for us. I hope your lives have been shattered by that and reassembled into something beautiful. This reality was embodied for us this morning, and you missed it. All of you missed it. 
Judah and Asher Stewardson were admitted as catechumens this morning in 9 a.m. service. They stood outside of those doors and, and just shook everybody's world because no one knew this was happening and banged on the doors as loud as 11 and the 9-year-old boys can bang. They banged on those doors and we let them into the church. And that symbolized, that symbolized this reality that through the church we find salvation in Jesus Christ because we have been commissioned by Jesus to bear witness to the good news of Jesus. And this is exactly what we see Philip doing in Acts 8. He takes the eunuch and says, oh, you're reading Isaiah 53? Well, I know who that guy is. And he starts from that passage and works through the whole sweep of salvation history, and he instructs the eunuch in the good news about Jesus. That's what Judah and Asher will be doing for the next several months. They will be instructed in the good news about Jesus because they seek to come to the waters of baptism. And what does Philip do? Prompted by this eunuch, and maybe he was a little, little taken back by it. I know I probably would have been. What hinders me from being baptized? So I guess in all that, they, they got to that part about being baptized and the whole spiel about the good news of Jesus, and they baptized them. And this is exactly what we'll do with Judah and Asher on All Saints Day, Lord willing. So this reality has already been embodied for us this morning. And we see it read in Acts chapter 8, where Philip, a member of the church led by the Spirit of God, is the means by which the Ethiopian eunuch becomes reconciled to God and enters into God's kingdom. We see him instructing the eunuch in the good news about Jesus from the scriptures and then administering the sacrament of holy baptism. In Christ church, brothers and sisters, this is what we are to be about right here in Winston-Salem. This isn't just a story that gets to be read and put away. It's a commissioning. Jude and Asher, what they're making commitments to do, and if they go through it and they are baptized, they're making a commitment before God, which every single baptized believer has done here. A commitment in faith and repentance, and you've been drawn up into the very life and work of God. This is what we are about here at Christ Church, proclaiming the good news about Jesus, inviting others to turn to Jesus and to acknowledge him as the risen and rightful king of this world and their lives, and incorporating them into this new body, this new family, the church, the body of Christ. It's almost as if Jesus said somewhere, go out into the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey, to do everything that I have commanded you. It's almost as if Jesus said that somewhere. This work of bearing witness about the good news of the risen King Jesus is what we are about here at Christ Church. And I, I was searching around uh, our website, and yes, this is what we are about. This is in writing on the World Wide Web, uh, so it must be true. This is our mission statement from the website, which I've just found after being here for nine months. So um, some of us are uh, slow uh, in getting information. Uh, and this is what it says, Christ Church, know this. For the glory of God and the good of our neighbors, we are, by God's grace, a church in the Anglican tradition devoted to two things, to three things. Winning the lost to Jesus Christ. Making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ. And sending out disciples for transformational ministry and mission in the world. That's what we're about. That's what we claim we're about. When we sign membership covenants, that's a part of what we're committing ourselves to. When we were baptized, 
into the body of Christ, the waters of baptism, that's what we make commitments to God to do. No matter if we're at Christ Church or wherever we may find ourselves, wherever the Spirit may carry you off to. But how do we begin? Where do we start? Well, we do not begin by trying to conjure up in ourselves a love for the lost. We don't begin there. We don't try to love people more. Though, we should be loving people, but that cannot be the foundation for our mission. That cannot be the main foundational thing that motivates us. Instead, we begin by submitting ourselves to the risen King Jesus. This is what we see in Acts over and over again. You'll be shocked how many times it says they loved others and that's why they went out. I haven't found one yet. But it did say multiple times over and over again they submitted themselves to the King. And you know what that results in? Love for others. They submitted themselves to the risen king. And that means every aspect of their lives was submitted. As you read through Acts, you see it. Possessions, properties, are very, the very, their very life and breath. Some of them died for this message as it went out in the world. Everything, every aspect, marriages, kids, futures, plans, dreams, educations, everything is given over to Jesus. You know why? Because he's the king. How many kings only want 5% of your life? How many of them demand loyalty for only maybe just 25% of the time? That's not how kingship works. That's not how being a royal subject works. Jesus demands your life. He was upfront about that in the Gospels. Nothing that should be of surprise here. Please take up your cross and die. Follow me. That's what Jesus calls us to. And we see this clearly with Philip. The angel of the Lord says what? Rise and go. And what do we see Philip doing? He's rising and he's going. We see the spirit of the Lord say, go and join. And what do we see Philip doing? He runs. He joins. We see the spirit ushering him away at the end of that passage. And what do we see Philip doing? Preaching the good news. And what is that an act of? It's an act of submission. Because Jesus, back in Acts 1.8, has already commissioned his disciples to do what? To bear witness about the good news. The good news of Jesus, risen and ascended to this world. While we should love the lost as fiercely and as relentlessly as Jesus, the good shepherd, a love for the lost will not sustain us or keep us faithful to the kingdom mission that Jesus has given us to do and to enact right here in Winston-Salem. It will not sustain us. It will not sustain faithfulness. Why? Because if you make a love for the lost, the foundational motivating factor to bear witness to the good news about Jesus, you will eventually become either cynical in a manipulative way, or you will mold and distort the good news about Jesus to affirm the lost in their sin and separation from God. We have seen entire churches and denominations do just that abdicate their mission out of a love for others, a love for the lost, and affirm them in what God says leads to death. Is it easy to love God and to love one's neighbor? No. It's utterly hard to do that in this world. And you know what we see all throughout Acts? We see utter joy and suffering. 
Those are the results of the gospel at work in the people of God committed and submitted to the mission. Joy, profound joy, but also suffering. People are martyred. Joy and suffering. This is our lot as Christians. This is what we signed up for. It was up front. It wasn't in the small print. I'm baptizing you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You symbolically died. So while we love the lost as fiercely and as relentlessly as Jesus, this is not what will sustain our mission. If a love for the lost is steering the ship, the church will eventually mirror the lost. Rather than prophetically modeling and proclaiming a different way of life in submission to King Jesus. Please be aware of this lurking danger all throughout our culture, all throughout each of your lives. Like Philip, submission to God must propel us in our God-given mission here in Winston-Salem to bear witness to the good news about Jesus and make disciples. Submission to the king, that's what moves us. This God-given mission is way too much for us as individuals and as a community. We are not fit for the task, right? We are not first-round draft picks. (laughs) We don't even make the draft. We didn't even get to the NFL. We didn't even much less go to college, right, and play ball. We are not first-round draft picks. We don't have what it takes. This is why why the Father pours out his promised Holy Spirit on the church at Pentecost in order to empower us for this task. And submission to God is one of the key ways, one of the central ways in which we draw down the power of heaven available to us through the Spirit of God. A love for the lost, while we need to love the lost, does not draw down the power of heaven. What I mean by that is when you submit to Christ in every aspect of your life, whether it's in small little ways or in big ways, when you submit to Christ... You open up the gates for the kingdom of God to flow forth into this world. You are drawing down on the power of heaven. And how do we know we draw down the power of heaven? Because Jesus, our ascended Lord, is there at the center of it all. And he has sent us his spirit that connects us to the source of power. And when we submit ourselves to his kingship, to his reign in our lives... We draw down on that power and we can do things that we never thought we were ever capable of doing, like tithing. We've talked about in foundations here in the last week or two. Or giving above and beyond a tithe. Or actually talking to our neighbors about Jesus and the good news. The wonderful transformational reality that good news has been in our lives and in our marriages. In the lives of our children and the lives of this church and folks connected to us. God has given you that power, and we access that power through submission to the king. Two things, though, run headlong into our submission to Jesus, that challenge it, that we will have to fight against in our lives, because these two things, these two lies we have been inculcated in, we have been indoctrinated in, we have been catechized in, in our culture for decades and decades. 
The culture that has shaped and formed us presents these two challenges. And here's the first one. We have been catechized in beautiful and compelling ways in music, in TV, in movies, in what is called expressive individualism. Now, that may sound weird. That's jargony. Think of it as Elsa's lie. From Frozen, Elsa's lie. She lies to you. She lies to your children. And I'm not, not joking. She lies to your children in that song. Whoever wrote it, I don't know. Expressive individualism is Elsa's lie. You know, let it go. I don't want anyone else to tell me what I need to do. I just need to find who I truly am in myself and live that out. Be true to myself. Expressive individualism or Elsa's lie refers to the belief that each one of us finds our meaning by giving expression to our own feelings and desires. And nothing and no one should limit or restrict me from expressing what I feel about who I am. We hear this all the time in common stock phrases in our culture. You be you. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. Find yourself. Why on earth would you want to find yourself? You're right there. (laughs) These phrases communicate an entire view of the world that finds at its center you, the individual. It is, in essence, the idolatrous worship of self. There's no other way around it. Your children are catechized in it. You were catechized in it. You worship yourself at times. We all struggle with idolatry of ourselves. I struggle with it. I want my way. I'd love to know who I really am. And so the greatest threat to you, the individual, and this way of viewing the world are places and institutions and beings in the world like God who are external to you and tell you this is what you are. This is who you are. This is how you live. Don't be true to yourself. Be true to me. Don't find yourself. Find me. Seek me. Seek my kingdom. Seek me first. Your desires are broken and misguided. Why would you ever want them to lead you? You know where our broken and misguided desires lead us? Into paths of death. They really do. They lead to broken marriages. They lead to dysfunctional families. They lead to parents and children not speaking to one another. I know that personally. I know what that's like. That's what following your own desires do. They don't proclaim the good news about Jesus. They proclaim the death-dealing news about yourself. God help us. In contrast to all that, the church proclaims from Scripture that the triune God who created all things, including you, stands at the center of reality, not you. Not your neighbor. God stands at the center of reality, and he calls you to submit all that you are, especially your feelings and desires about who you are to him. And this is what the book of Acts is all about, submitting every aspect of our lives to the risen and ascended King Jesus. How does the Elsa lie affect our submission to the king? Two ways. The Elsa lie will take your love for the lost and flatten out the good news of Jesus into a sin-affirming narrative where love is love. How could you, how could you not love someone? Or the Elsa lie will tempt you not to submit 
to the mission Jesus has given you to proclaim the good news. And you might think, well, I would really love to tell people the good news about Jesus. I just haven't found a way that's authentically true to who I am. That's the first lie. And the second lie, and we'll close with this, is that religion, our relationship with God, is strictly a private matter. Certainly not a public one. Certainly not one you tell other people about. Certainly not one you mention in public. This was recently uh, made very plain in Slate Magazine's parenting advice column. Ashley and I have just had a, a child, so uh, these things pop up, you know, now that they, they monitor everything about you. Um, so these things pop up, and so I read this. I mean, the, the tagline caught me, so I read this. As a pastor, whenever you see something along the lines of, help, my seven-year-old's best friend is proselytizing him, I'm like, oh, I wonder what they're going to say. And so I, I read, and this is what she said. This is what the advice columnist says to this concerned mother that her seven-year-old's best friend is proselytizing him. I think it's fine to tell the kid that you don't want to hear any talk about salvation, Jesus, the Bible, or anything else while he's playing with your son. And that, if it continues, then playtime is over. Also, I would coach your son to say the same thing to the kid. If his friend won't stop talking about religion, then you need to show how serious you are by ending the play date right then and there. If it comes to that, then I would reach out to his parents to explain how you don't feel comfortable with your son taking part in those conversations at his age. They may get offended, but if they're reasonable, they should fall in line. The bottom line, the bottom line is everyone has a right to believe what they want to believe, but that doesn't mean they have to push those beliefs on your family. This advice column is helpfully, I think helpfully, sets the choice before you in rather stark terms. Will you fall in line? And the question before every Christian in every age is who will you submit to? I got a chuckle when I read that. I thought we'd have no authority, we have no right. Maybe you remember the Great Commission passage. We often begin that passage by saying the words of Jesus, go forth and make disciples of all nations. But do you know how that that beginning phrase or that first clause of that sentence or that first sentence goes and what Jesus says. And Jesus came and said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. I want to encourage you all. You have every right. Your children have every right to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ to their best friends, to their co-workers, to your neighbors, you have every right. The king of all the world gave you the right to do that. And no advice columnist can tell you otherwise. Will you fall in line with the divine mission that Jesus has drawn up, has drawn you up into to bring the good news of his kingdom here in the midst of Winston-Salem? Or will you fall in line with the expectations of our culture? That's the choice before us. And this is why, this is why we must submit our lives in every aspect, every single part of them to Jesus, hiding nothing from him. Don't be Ananias and Sapphira. Don't hide anything from the spirit. You can't. Don't do it. This is the choice. Submit to him. 
submit to the Spirit so that we can draw down the very power of heaven to proclaim the good news of Jesus and to bring not death but life, not darkness but light, right here in the midst of Winston-Salem, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our homes. May God help us to be faithful and submissive subjects of the risen King. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.